Thanks for listening to The Vine. We're a new church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this sermon helps you in doing that. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river, Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have, been bab- I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Guys, it is my super, super uh, exciting honor to introduce our, our speaker for this morning. If, Steve, would you mind coming up here? So our, the Vine Covenant Church is a part of a larger family, and our family is called the Covenant Church. And, um, and Steve, I, we met at a, uh, at a training for us as church planners. Steve uh, was presenting that day, and uh, I had read a book or started reading a book that he was uh, that he wrote, and I just really felt like, man, this is a very familiar voice to me, and so we became friends, and Ted and I invited Steve to come out and to finish the sermon. We've been preaching through a series called Beginnings that is really structured by the book that Steve wrote, and we thought it'd be great for have Steve come out and to finish this off. Uh, you need to know this, but that Steve is actually from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I didn't think there was much of a cultural difference in between uh, Texas and Minneapolis until yesterday. I was like, hey, so tomorrow, this is what I shared to him yesterday, uh, yesterday. Hey, so tomorrow I'm thinking about uh, maybe we get up, get some coffee, and get a breakfast talk or something like that. And he said the most tragic words I think I ever heard. <laughs> what is a breakfast talk? <laughs> <laughs> oh. And I just, why, God, why are there people out there that do not know of breakfast tacos. So uh, we are thrilled that you are here, Steve. Uh, thank you so, so much for the gift of this series. It's been awesome for us. Uh, would you guys mind welcoming Steve? Love you. Uh, oh, you guys, it's so fun to be here. Uh, and I have been so spoiled. I've been to Franklin's uh, little place that, you know, we pulled up there and there was this long line. I mean, like, for barbecue, and I was blessed. My soul was blessed as I engaged. And I did have some breakfast tacos, and that was super fun. And Ted and Mark have been, uh, and you all have been, just such kind hosts. I've never been to Austin before, have always wanted to be here. Uh, and this city has not disappointed. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, and I'm a, I'm a church planter as well. Our, our little church called Genesis reminds me a lot of you. In fact, like our service starts at 9.30, and so that means at about 9.35, there's seven people in the room. (laughs) Everyone else is hanging out and talking. Around 15 minutes into it, it starts getting filled up. And so you need to know as pastors, though, every week we freak out. Like every week, this is the week that people stop coming. 
because we're in here and you're out there. So thank you for, for coming. Uh, so I have two core foundational beliefs at least, uh, but those two beliefs flowed out into the book that I wrote and uh, flow out into the ministry that I try to do in the world, and it's this. Number one, God is always at work, always making all things new, everywhere, in Iraq, in Washington, D.C., in Minneapolis, in Syria, everywhere, at all times, God is always actively at work making all things new. If that isn't true for me, then I'll stop being a pastor, I'll stop writing books, I'll stop preaching. If that isn't true, then I think ministry grinds to a halt. But the second core foundational belief I have is that we are invited to participate in that making all things new. That we actually are the way it gets done. God initiates it. And then God invites us into that work. Amen? That's how it works. Jesus has no body on the earth except for his church. We are the body of Christ in the world. And for so many years, I mean, I grew up in the church and I hear the body of Christ. And that just sounded like a cliche religious phrase. The body of Christ, very religious, very religious sounding. And then I realized, like, no, actually, we are his body in the world. We are to do what he did when he was alive, walking around in the first century. And so I don't believe it's just us praying for God to move and then waiting for God to move. But I also don't believe it's us working really, really, really hard for change on our own efforts. I believe it's this beautiful mystery in the middle that God's heart, wherever there is brokenness, wherever there is suffering, wherever there is anyone who is far from God and lost in chaos, God is actively at work already there. And we never beat God anywhere. Like, we never arrive on the scene first. God is already there. We join God in that work. And when we pay attention, when we cultivate a life that listens to how we are wired up, whether you're an extrovert or an introvert, an engineer or an artist, when we pay attention to how we were wired up and what God is doing around us, then we start seeing the brokenness around us and we start walking into those places. So the question I want to ask today in this beautiful text of the baptism of Jesus is, uh, so like, how do things change really? And where do you find hope when everything else is dark and chaotic? And how do, you actually, how do you actually hear the voice of God initiating some change and then, and then inviting you to participate? How does that really work? And so that really is uh, the impetus behind my book, Beginnings. I, I, I was searching for a framework in the scriptures whereby God initiates and we respond. God initiates God's restoring activity in the world, and we participate in it. And so the seven days of creation I found to be that template. And so on day one, as you guys have learned, there is this dark matter of energy, tohu vavohu, it's called in the Hebrew. And I think we need to say that all together, can we? Tohu vavohu. I love how that sounds. It just, it comes off 
the tongue with such mystery. And it means chaos. It means inky blackness. It means this energy that's brimming with life, but it's chaotic. Anytime you've ever been through a loss in your life, loss of a job, loss of a relationship, a sense of impending doom that you didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow because of what happened today, that's tohu vavohu, and you're in it when you realize you can't see and you need hope. That's when you know you're in day one and you're waiting for God's initiating activity. And it comes with a voice. Let there be what? Light! But what is the light of day one? It's not the sun. The sun isn't created until day four. So that's the great mystery that the church needs to answer. What is the light of day one? And it's God's initiating activity in the world. And so when, when Mark writes about Jesus, and he starts it in chapter 1 with his baptism, I want you to see what he's doing, because he's using a literary technique that is absolutely brilliant. If you notice in this text in Mark 1 that Mark just read, there's the spirit hovering there's waters, and waters in the Hebrew scriptures especially represented darkness and chaos and evil. So there's the spirit hovering, there's darkness in the water, and then a voice of God speaks. So good Bible students, where are we in the story of creation in Mark 1? Say it louder. We are in the middle of a new day one. Do you see how, and that's very, in my mind, very intentional what Mark is doing. He's saying, just like we read in the very beginning, because the Bible, how books start is important, right? The first couple chapters of a book sets the whole tone for the rest of the story. And so that's why I believe that the creation story isn't just a list of historical facts, it's poetry, and it's designed to let you, let you know this, what's happening right here, this creation is going to keep happening over and over and over and over and over again in people's lives and in communities until God finally finishes God's work of making all things new. And so John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, he locates himself in the middle of the Jordan River which is the place that the Israelites had to cross over from the wilderness finally into the promised land. And that was a new day one. When Joshua finally led the people through the waters of chaos into the promised land. So there John is in the Jordan River, uh, and uh, he's calling his baptism a baptism of repentance. It's about leaving one reality behind and walking into an entirely new one. So people went under the waters of baptism, under the waters of chaos, and they were brought up out of the water, initiating a new beginning in their lives. They were leaving behind a way of life that was narrow and barren in order to walk into a new way of life that was expansive and brimming with life. And people lined up to do it in the wilderness. And then Jesus shows up. Have you ever wondered, like, why, why, did he, why did he go and get baptized? That's so bizarre to me. It was a baptism of repentance. 
Jesus, who had never sinned, shows up to be baptized. And I think he did it because he was going to say, I'm going to be the first to go through this life so that you can learn from me how, how it is to live and move and finally die and be resurrected. I want to go first. So he goes under the waters of baptism. And when he emerges, something happens, which kind of reminds us of what those Pensive children must have discovered in that drafty old house in the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Something mysterious, something that they couldn't really explain. Remember that? When Lucy goes through the coats, and there's no end to the back of the wardrobe, and she keeps going, and finally the coats become trees, and then the trees become this snowy forest. Something happens when the heavens are torn open, and like it's not like a trap door in the sky, <laughs> obviously. You have to understand that, that when Mark is writing about this, he's like, I don't know how to explain this really, because something really bizarre and beautiful happened. But I did hear a voice, Mark says. I did hear a voice say something amazing. But let's talk about it. So when the heavens were torn open, Jesus came up out of the water, and he saw the heavens being torn open. And he stepped into this dimension that was somehow alongside ordinary reality, a, a day in Palestine, hot, dry, dusty, uh, going into the water. All of that was happening. But at the same moment, in the thin space that was opened up, Jesus came aware that something else was going on. So I want to ask you this question. Have you ever been in that, the, one of those kinds of moments where you're just going through your ordinary life and all of a sudden, you come to realize that something much bigger is happening around you and inside of you. Maybe it's at the deathbed of someone that you love. Maybe it's when you're sitting at your kid's wedding. Anyone ever had a kid get married? And like, and you realize in a moment, this baby, it happened so quick, but she grew up. And now she's um, going to go live with this terrible person that you hardly know. <laughs> and something transcendent happens. Or maybe it was in church last week. And the preacher was preaching or the person was singing. And all of a sudden it was more than words. It was more than just songs. And God came alongside of you and invited you into something transcendent. That's what's happening in this moment. It's a new day one. And Jesus goes down into the water. And he comes up out in the middle of this chaos, this tohu vavohu. The light of God's presence comes. For me, one of the moments uh, that that happened was when I was 21. And uh, I grew up in the church, in this Baptist church, of which I feel so grateful. But they also gave me some things that weren't so great. Gave me lots of great things. And gave me some things. I saw someone go like, totally, me too. Um, great things and not so great things. And so I wasn't really all that wild about God. And I really wasn't all that wild about the church. And so when I got to college, finally, that was the time where I just finally didn't have to go to church anymore. So I didn't. And not only did I not go to church, but I went to a lot of things that were 
like totally the opposite of church in every way, shape, or form. Can I get an amen? Uh, that's all I will describe that period of my life as. But when I was 21, in between my senior year, or junior year and senior year, I decided I was tired of that. I really was tired of that kind of chaos. So I decided to work at a Christian camp just to get away from all of that. So I applied at the Covenant, our denominations camp, and I got rejected. <laughs> and if you've ever worked at a camp, you know how desperate they are for counselors. <laughs> like, they will take you if you are a warm body. And I got the phone call that said, I'm sorry, you're not our kind of guy. And I was like, wow, that's bad. Luckily, I had uh, also applied at this other uh, evangelical free church camp. Apparently, they were a little more desperate for warm bodies because they accepted me. And I, um, I went through staff training, and I remember thinking, I'm feeling like such a fraud. Literally, I was horribly hungover on the day that I was driving up to the camp, and I was pretty sure that wasn't the way that you should be heading into this new job, <laughs> starting in a new, new beginning. Uh, but that was, that was me. And so at the end of the week, we had this communion service. And I had been to 100 communion services in my life, more than that. But this time, um, God met me. And I was overcome with the reality in a moment that not only did God love me, because, you know, like when, okay, let's be honest. Like when, when someone says, God loves you, isn't there a party that goes, well, yeah, like there's a contract written in the universe that says God has to love you. So like it's not even a choice. It's not volitional on God's part. You're just part of the mass sea of people that God loves, and you're just part of it. And God doesn't even really know you, but he loves you. Does anyone? Okay, no one feels that way except for me, but I feel that way. And so in this communion moment, I had the stunning reality break open in my heart that God liked me me. Before I turned away from any of that stuff that I was doing, God liked me, God wanted to be with me, and God was inviting me to just be in relationship, period. Not even to leave behind this other stuff. I, I really got the impression God just wanted to be with me. And that changed everything for me, honestly. That, that awakening toward grace was something that wrecked me. It wrecked my life in the best way. And that's what made me actually want to walk away from that other stuff. That's what repentance means, actually. Walking away from a way of life that doesn't work. It's not just this emotion that you feel or these words that you say. It's an action of, I, of turning around and saying, I'm no longer doing that anymore because I know it doesn't bring me life. So that's this transcendent moment. Have you had one of those in your life? It doesn't have to be you know, as big as mine was, but it's this moment where you, are, you, you become aware that God loves you, likes you, and is inviting you into the work of restoring all things. That reality, like that's a thin space that God is always alongside of you, always, always whispering to you, and our work is just to become aware of that. So then Jesus uh, saw the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And so again, there's water, there's the spirit descending. And in the Hebrew, the word for spirit is ruach. And it means spirit, it means wind, and it means breath. So the question is, what role does the spirit play in creation? When God is breathing life into something, whether it be actually during the creation of the earth or during the creation of a new thing, 
the role that God's spirit plays is that God, God breathes life into humanity. In Genesis 2-7, we read this, the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the, the man, Adam, which really means humanity, became a living being. We actually aren't alive to our true self until the spirit breathes life into us in one of those kinds of moments. And then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. I like you, God says. And according to this mysterious moment, other people could hear that voice. It wasn't just a voice that Jesus heard inside of his head. It was a voice that was, that was audible for other people. And at this moment, we don't know that Jesus had really done anything of any kind of significance. I grew up believing that I had to earn that voice. I had to do a lot of good things for God, and I had to refrain from doing a lot of bad things in order to get that word of affirmation from God. You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. And actually, in you, I am well pleased. I like you. I like who you are. I like how you're created. I like what you like. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm in your corner. I'm on your side, especially when you're in the darkest of moments of chaos. Like, that's the gospel. The gospel, if you read the Beatitudes, blessed are the broken and blessed are those who mourn, that's not a list of things to aspire to, to like, oh, I gotta be more broken, I gotta be more mourning, I gotta be more righteous, I gotta be more. That's a list of like, if you're at the end of your rope crying out to God at the dark bottom of a hole, you need to know at that very moment when you turn toward God, God is on your side. God is with you. God is for you. God is pleased with you before you do anything for God. Amen? That's the good news of the gospel, that broken people like me and you can be invited into God's transforming work in the world. That's why, you know, the verse, there's a verse in 2 Thessalonians that says, basically, we are like broken uh, pottery that holds tremendous light within us. The only way the light that gets out, the only way the light gets out is because we're cracked and broken. That's the way the light gets out. So Jesus hears this voice from heaven. You're my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. My question for you is, what voices do you hear from heaven? If you're like me, you probably hear voices, but they're not from heaven, and they're voices of shame. You are not enough. You weigh too much. You blew it yesterday on that deal. You blew it yesterday with your kids. You blew it yesterday with your spouse. And maybe you did blow it. But because you blew it, you're a, you're a horrible person, and you have, you have all kinds of work to do before God will like you. So uh, a couple years ago at this Covenant um, church planner training, uh, I, there was this, um, it was in Long Beach, California. 
So all, all training should be in beautiful places like that. I was very thankful. But as it was, um, as the presenters were saying, here's what's going on, they said, there's this guy named Marcos who's gifted in prayer, prophetic prayer. If you're not from that kind of background, someone that's gifted in prophetic prayer is supposedly gifted to hear from God and give you a word from God. And so they said, Marcos is available for you if you want to be prayed for. My immediate response was, oh, no way. There is no possibility I am meeting with this freak named Marcos. He looks nice, but I am not going to do it. So, I'm, so this train is like five days long, and I'm like, okay. What? And, and people are coming up to me and going like, have you met with Marcos yet? I'm like, no, I really haven't. He's amazing. And so I was wrestling with this in my spirit. Like I, like I didn't want, I did not want to meet with Marcos. But people kept coming out to me, man, you know, in the last day, my friend Ricky Jakubowski, who's now a church planter in, in Providence, Rhode Island, he, I was sitting by the pool the last day, I had my journal out, my Bible, um, and I was praying, and I was really like, I was sensing maybe I should meet with And Ricky goes, and before he even said it, I'm like, what? You just met with Marcos? He's like, yeah, how did you know? Um, it was amazing. And I don't even believe in that stuff. But he, the stuff he said to me was right in the money. So I'm like, okay. And so I met with Marcos. And I, 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 before I met with him, I was honest, though, with God. I said, God, I am convinced that Marcos is going to nail me to the wall. I'm, that, that's, what God, that's what a prophet does, right? Nails you to the wall. And I don't want to. I feel fragile. I feel insecure. And I don't want to. So I will do it, but I will not like what's going to happen. Okay, God? You ever, you, ever, you ever been there, by the way? So I met with him. He was very nice. And he just said, hey, what would you like me to pray for you about? And I just blurted out something. I don't even remember what I blurted out. And he started praying. And he goes, okay, I'm getting a picture of um, Joseph. Not the father of Jesus, um, you know, the earthly father, but Joseph in the Old Testament, Genesis. And um, he goes, you know, um, Joseph was given a coat of many colors. And I go, awesome. He's going to tell me I am arrogant. That's what I thought. Like, you know, because Joseph was a little arrogant in the beginning of the story. You know, he told his brothers, I had this great dream. You all were bowing down to me. It was pretty sweet as he was, you know, strutting around the coat. <laughs> and... Um, so Marcos goes, why do you think his father, Jacob, gave him the coat? And I, at this moment, I'm just like, I, I go, Marcos, I don't know. <laughs> Which is actually a great answer. And he goes, I think he did it because he wanted to honor him, because he loved him. And I think God wants to honor you because God loves you. That was just two years ago. And I'm going to tell you guys, I was ugly crying. On to Marcos. <laughs> and I say on to, I mean on to. <laughs> he was baptized with my tears. <laughs> so after 44 years of life at that point, now I'm 46, 22 years as a pastor, I've become convinced that the single thing standing in the way of receiving God's love is that we can't imagine anyone, much less God, liking us as we are, not as we should be. 
It's been so drilled into us that we're bad, we're awful, we're not worth it, we don't measure up, we're not good enough. We simply cannot imagine that we're liked and chosen and honored by God. So we're convinced we have to earn God's love. We have to hustle for it in a million different ways. So most of us are exhausted. We're confused. We can't hear God's initiating work in the world because we feel like we have no place in it. So let me say this with all the authority in heaven and on earth, that Jesus is the Messiah, that he represents us, his people, and what's true of him is true of you. He is God's beloved son, you are God's beloved daughter, and that's a done deal, amen? That is a done deal. There's nothing that can change that, nothing. Not report cards, not getting fired, not getting divorced, not getting cheated on, not falling off the wagon, not staying on the wagon, not addiction, false promises, false starts, not the lies that you or anyone else believe about you, not the money that you've gambled away or the love that you've frittered away. Your best decisions haven't earned it. Your worst decisions haven't lost it. Your best accomplishments haven't added to it. And your worst failures haven't affected it. Your secrets can't hide within it. And your biggest dreams are toilet water compared to it. What is true of Jesus is true of you, and that is a done deal. You are God's beloved daughter. You are God's beloved son. God is at work always in the world, making all things new, and God is inviting you into that work right here and right now. Amen? So may you have the bold audacity today to let that in. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on us. We pray that in your reckless grace, you would pour it out on us in such radical ways that we would actually let it in, that we would have the courage to stand past our accomplishments and our failures into a new beginning of receiving your grace, your mercy, your love, your affection that wins out over everything. May you give us that, that courage to accept it. In your name, amen.